0: 1 Peter 1, 6 to 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ.
1: James 1, verses 2 through 4. <clears throat> Consider it all joy, my brethren when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing.
0: James 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead.
1: Matthew 24, 9-13. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death.
0: And you will be hated by all nations
1: for my name's sake. What is a terrifying thought, is it not, to think of coming to the Lord on that day of judgment, only to find that you are not one who has actually persevered to the end, only to find that you yourself are not one whose faith has been accompanied by works such that you will actually be saved, as James reminded us, that faith apart from works is useless. That this faith that you thought that you had living for all your life, turns out that you actually weren't living for it in the way you supposed. What would you do on that day when you're standing before the Lord? There's no higher court that you could appeal to at that time. There's no possible excuses that you could make. You're not going to be able to debate God into his kingdom No, at that time, that is the end. That is the final verdict upon your life. And so is it not the case that right now, beloved, we should do everything we can, everything we can, to make sure that when we stand before God on that day, that our faith is indeed found genuine? It is not a a false faith. It's not something that we just made up, that we thought we were living for, but in reality we weren't actually living for. We should do whatever we can, should we not? To make sure that on that great day, on that day of judgment, we are able to stand before God with a clean conscience, and we are able to hear God say the words to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. We know that not everyone who supposes himself to be a Christian is going to hear those words. As we just read in Matthew, the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Not the one who's feeling good about Jesus today. Not the one who at one time prayed a prayer and thought they received Jesus, but then never really had a life that was transformed by him or was obedient to him. There are many who will say to God on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And God will say to that person, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And so, beloved, we should be anxious today. We should be eager today to find ourselves in the love of God to find ourselves to be a people of faith who truly are devoted to God in just the way that Scripture calls us to be devoted to God. Again, look at First Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith And how precious is that tested genuineness? More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you see why Peter would say that the tested genuineness of our faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire? If you can picture that day where we will be standing before that throne of judgment, then I think you will very easily be able to understand why Peter here says that the tested genuineness of our faith is more precious than gold. Because again, in that day you will not have any other excuse. You will not have any debate. There will simply be a verdict and then there will be eternity forever and ever. And how precious would it be to know to know that on that day you will be found in the clear and you will be welcomed into the Lord's presence forever and ever. There could be nothing more valuable than that, could there? Some of the most precious things that we are able to purchase in our own day come with some certificate of authenticity, right? I know that if you purchase much uh, sports memorabilia, you know, it'll have a signature on it or something like that, and it'll be worth a lot of money because it has that signature on it. And you're not going to buy that just based on someone else's word that, yeah, I really did get it signed by this person. No, you're going to want someone to verify the signature, to say, yes, this is a real signature, and so this thing is really worth this much money. When I bought my wife an engagement ring, when I bought the engagement ring, they also gave me a little certificate that said, yes, this is a real diamond that has been graded to this quality, so nobody just has to take my word for it, that it's a real diamond. Even just in the marketplace today, we understand that something that is very valuable needs some sort of verification. And here, Peter says that the tested genuineness of our faith is valuable. He says it is more precious than gold. Now, in saying that it's more precious than gold, Peter here is using the image of the most valuable thing that they could imagine in the ancient world. Gold was kind of the standard for any type of exchange you may want to make. Right? They didn't have paper money back in that day. All their money was actual metal coins. And in these metal coins, there always had to be some specific amount of silver or of gold to determine its worth. And gold was, of course, the most precious metal that they had in that day. And so if you had coins of gold, you had the most precious thing. You could buy anything else you wanted. Now, the analogy maybe doesn't work quite as well for us today, right? Today, we use gold more just for decoration, right? For for jewelry, for things like that. But nobody actually carries around gold with them to buy other things. And so just ask yourself the question, what thing do I have? What thing do I know of that seems to be more precious than anything else to me? What thing would I hate to lose? I heard a story just this last week of a woman telling me about how she had once lost her own engagement ring and how when she lost that engagement ring, it was really a moment of panic for her. And because it was a moment of panic for her, it was a moment of panic for her whole family. She was on a vacation at the beach, and so as soon as she realized that she had lost it, she sent her whole family down to the beach to be digging through the sand to find her engagement ring because that ring was so precious to her. Is there anything that you have that is so precious to you that if you were to lose it, you would just kind of be in a panic? You would be at a loss. Well, whatever that thing is, consider inserting that thing into verse 7 right here. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes. Whatever on earth you think is most valuable to you. Whatever on earth you think is most precious to you, consider that it is not as precious as the tested genuineness of your faith. It is not as precious as the tested genuineness of your faith. Whatever you are willing to work for on this earth, much more should you be willing to work for tested genuineness of your faith." Immediately in these verses, Paul or Peter gives us one reason why this tested genuineness of faith is more precious than gold. It says, gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. Now, it is not the fire that makes gold to perish, right? When you send gold through the fire, it simply gets refined. The gold comes out on the other side unharmed. But what does cause gold to perish? We know that over time, everything will perish. Over time, any possession that we have will fade away. It might not actually cease to exist, but it'll get lost. Someone else will come to own it. Eventually, science tells us, someday the sun is going to burn up and this whole universe is going to come to an end. Everything that is material will one day perish. Perish including gold, including whatever else is precious in your life. And yet on that day, when everything that is material perishes, will your faith also perish? No, your faith will not perish. Your faith will see you into eternity. As we sing in that wonderful song, Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Our faith, beloved, will one day turn to sight so that we will not merely trust God and take him at his word. We will be able to see God and demonstrate that he is real and he is faithful with our own eyes and with our own experience. And so our faith will see us forward to that day when we will behold God with our eyes and we will know him and be in his presence forever and ever. And so, beloved, consider how worth it it is. Consider how priceless it is to be found in Jesus Christ so that when you come to that judgment throne, you will be able to enter into that land where you will be able to live forever and ever without ceasing. Does it not make you realize that all the suffering of this present life, Whatever hardship we may experience today is just small change. Almost too small to be counted in comparison to the glories that will one day be revealed to us. In comparison to the eternity that we will one day experience in God's presence. If that eternity is anything close to as good as scripture promises us, then we would be fools, would we not, to give up whatever we needed to give up today, to, to suffer whatever we needed to suffer today, if it meant that we would be able to enter into God's eternal kingdom? Just this week, I learned about a Chinese pastor named Wang Yi. He's in prison right now in China, he's been in prison for a little over four years. He was the pastor of Early Rain Covenant Church. And on the morning of Sunday, December 9th in 2018, a few government trucks pulled up outside of his church and they arrested him and they arrested about a hundred of his church members. Again, the Church of Early Rain Covenant Church. And to this day, Pastor Wang Yi and many of his congregation are still sitting in prison. And yet, this pastor knew that his church would suffer. He knew that his people would experience persecution at the hands of the Chinese government. And so... On November 9th, 2017, he sent a letter to his congregation. He sent a letter that's entitled, 20 Ways Persecution is God's Way to Shepherd Us. 20 Ways Persecution is God's Way to Shepherd Us. Now, I'm not going to read to you all 20. It's quite long. But I do want to give you two of them that particularly stood out to me and really encapsulate the message of 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. And so number 15 of 20 ways that persecution is God's way to shepherd us. This is Pastor Wang Yi. He says, test yourself to see if you are crazy for the gospel. When you are threatened with death for the gospel, you find out for whom you really live. When faced with the risk of job loss, you know for whom you really work. When you may lose fortune and position for the sake of the gospel, You find out whether you are crazy for money or crazy for the gospel. And then number 16. Therefore, one great benefit of suffering is realizing how much we overestimate our spiritual lives. This miscalculation is where almost all problems in our daily lives come from. Let me read that line one more time. It's so staggering that he would say that. This miscalculation, this overestimation of our spiritual lives, is where almost all problems in our daily lives come from. And then he gives this example from Scripture. If Christ had not been arrested, Peter would not have known he could not make it, and the disciples would not have admitted their disbelief. Believers who live at ease usually misunderstand their piety or misunderstand their faith. Only when the absolute temperature drops do we feel the cold and truly long for light. Only when the absolute temperature drops do we feel the cold and truly long for light. Do you understand what Pastor Wang Yi is saying there when he's saying the benefit of suffering, the benefit of persecutions? In particular, he gives the example of being threatened with death for the gospel. Then you find out who you really live for. When you're faced with the risk of job loss, then you know who you really work for. You know, as he says, if you're actually crazy for money, that is, will you do anything in your life just to make sure you keep your job, you keep your income? Or are you crazy for God, for the gospel? Are you willing to lose everything you have in order that you may find Jesus Christ and that you may know his sufferings? Beloved, this is the question of our lives. This is the question of our lives. Do we really trust in Jesus Christ? Do we really love God more than we love worldly things? Now, I think we in America actually experience a great handicap, do we not? We are not forced to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Now, I'm very thankful for religious freedom, right? I would not have us to be persecuted if I could ask to be persecuted. I am thankful for religious freedom. I'm thankful that we can all gather here this morning, right now, sit here, sing praises to God, listen to his word preached, and we don't have to worry about government trucks rolling up outside and arresting us all. So I am thankful for that. And yet, do we understand that we are handicapped? It may be that we trust in God actually only because it's easy. It may be that we actually trust in God only because we feel like it makes our lives a little bit better. And if that's the reason why we trust in God, then we would have this question, would we not? Well, what if walking with the Lord actually made my life worse? What if it actually sent me to prison? What if it actually made me lose my job? What if it actually made me lose my friends? Then would I still walk with the Lord? Would I still walk with God? But that is the way that suffering yields tested genuineness of our faith. It strips away those things that maybe right now are kind of like dross mixed in with the gold of our faith. Other reasons why we are walking with the Lord aside from pure love for the Lord. And when we suffer, it strips away these other rationales that we have so that we know whether we are really following Jesus Christ out of love for Jesus Christ or whether we're following Jesus Christ because it gives us a church family or it gives us good friends or it actually gives us a leg up at work in some way or whatever the reason may be or maybe it's just comfortable to you because you grew up in the faith and so you just feel, oh, well, why leave it now? What else could I do? Beloved, those kind of reasonings, those kind of rationales get stripped away when persecution, when suffering comes. And one thing that I think is worth asking ourselves right now, even though I do not expect persecution to come against Christians in any significant way in my lifetime, one good question to ask right now is to simply visualize persecution coming visualize some trucks rolling up out here, police charging into the building right now. Decide right now, what would you do? Would you maintain steadfast love for the Lord? Or would you say in that day, just like Peter said of Jesus when he was questioned, I never knew him. I don't know that man. What would you do? Make up your mind right now. But there's an even More difficult challenge for us, I believe, found in these verses, verses six and seven. And that challenge to us, in the context that we are in, in this cushy, wonderful place called America, the challenge for us is to find ways that we might actually experience suffering for the gospel, to find ways that we might experience suffering for the gospel. Because if I'm reading Peter right in these verses, then he's saying that it is only suffering that yields tested genuineness of faith. And therefore, it is suffering that is worth that refined gold, that is worth that pure gold, because it is suffering that ultimately speaks to us and says, yes, you are really with Jesus Christ, or no, you are just a pretender. And so we must, beloved, find ways to suffer for our faith. So what am I talking about? What are some ways that we could possibly suffer for our faith? Now off the bat, let me say, I do not want you to like go out and just like scream the gospel in somebody's face until they want to punch you, okay? That's not a good way to suffer for your faith. Yes, you may get punched for screaming the gospel at somebody, but that is not a good way of sharing the gospel. How are we to suffer for our faith? Well, just last week I preached the message of the necessity of our love for one another, right? That it is our love for one another that makes the church. In James chapter 2, when we were reading about how works necessarily accompany faith, what's the example that James himself used when he was talking about how works necessarily accompany faith? He used the example of someone saying to their brother, oh, I love you, right? Be warmed, be fed, Go in peace. And yet their brother is there and they have no food, they have no clothing. Is it genuine love if you just tell them, oh, feel better, and you're not actually willing to sacrifice? You're not actually willing to give anything to them? If you are not willing, then you do not genuinely have love. So notice then how love itself, if played out, whether inside the church or among your neighbors, among those who are even your enemies, right? Christ calls us to love our enemies. So notice even there how love itself can bring suffering, or maybe a better word is sacrifice, can bring sacrifice into our lives. And again, I say that because we are Americans, because we live in this very comfortable place, we as believers here in America, should be especially eager to find those avenues of love to others that will allow us to sacrifice, that will allow us to give something up for the sake of God, for the sake of the gospel, or for the sake of loving one another, for the sake of obeying Christ's commands. Now, I don't presume to say that there's one way that we all must do this, There are many different ways that we could do this. There are different avenues of love that each one of you has. And so again, my exhortation to you, my encouragement to you, is to find what are those avenues of love whereby I can willingly enter into sacrifice, I can willingly enter into suffering, so that I might know that my faith is really genuine. I mean, one very small way and easy way in my mind is in giving to the church, right? Now, we all know that there's other things we could do with our money. All of us probably have other things we would really like to do with our money. And so, really, any way that we give to the church is going to be some small measure of sacrifice. But ask yourself the question, could I give a little more? Could I let it pinch my life a little more? And if it pinches my life a little more, again, I'm not saying you you give in order to just earn credit with God or to earn credit with the church, right? I don't look at what you give. I don't care what you give. I say you do it in order so that you can know in your heart that you are really genuine in the faith, that you are willing to sacrifice something. You are willing to give something up for the sake of the Lord. Or maybe for you, Money is not the most precious thing. Giving up money is not that big of a sacrifice. Maybe your time is very precious to you. Well, who is there that you could give some time to? Is there someone suffering in the church that could use a brother or sister to come alongside them, to comfort them and care for them? Can you sacrifice your time in that way? Or maybe it's the many immigrants that are coming in To Pittsburgh here who need help, need assistance in various ways. Is there some way you could sacrifice to help them and to serve them? Lord knows there are a multitude of needs all around us. And so if we don't find ways to sacrifice, if we don't find ways to suffer in the cause of love, it's not because there are no needs out there. It's not because there's no place we can serve. It's simply because we haven't looked for it. We haven't found it. Again, we are comfortable living lives at ease, just kind of crossing our fingers that on that day of judgment that we really will be found to be sincere, even though we may not have any real proof of our sincerity. We may not have any sufferings that we've gone through to demonstrate our faithfulness. But again, beloved, if Peter is correct here, and if the tested genuineness of our faith really is more precious than gold— then we should be able to get on our knees daily and pray, Lord, let me suffer today. Lord, let me be sincere in my faith today. Let me do something for Jesus today that proves that I'm not a fraud, that proves that I'm not just in it because it's easy and because it makes sense, but because I have an undying love for the Lord. Maybe some of you, God is even calling you to get so outside of your comfort zone that you actually move away from the United States and you move overseas somewhere where you will experience plenty of suffering from no electricity or running water or even understanding the language or the culture in order to make Jesus Christ known. I know for me it was an enormous privilege to be able to go overseas and serve the Lord in that way because... It was the first time that I had actually tasted suffering for the sake of the gospel. Again, up to that time, my parents had always patted me on the back any time I did anything for the Lord. I always had friends or a church around me that were always applauding whenever I was obedient to God in any way. And I didn't realize because of that that my faith had never actually been my own. My faith had actually always been just what other people were encouraging me to do, patting me on the back to do. I never had to figure out for myself what it really meant to serve the Lord. So it was such a privilege to go overseas and experience headwinds to gospel obedience and then to be able to know like, okay, I really do believe this. I really do want to follow after Jesus, even though it's hard. And again, beloved, we all need that in some way or another. And so we as a church must learn to be a very countercultural people in the sense that we are not comfortable when we are comfortable. We are not comfortable when we are at ease, when everything is going well, when I am not sacrificing at all, because it is precisely in those moments when we get lulled into disobedience when we get lulled into loving the world more than we love God. And if we go before the throne of God on that day and we love the world more than we love God, God will have harsh words for us and he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. My wife just had a very... Clear experience of something being fraudulent just a couple weeks ago. She went to see a Kansas Jayhawks game down in West Virginia. The Kansas Jayhawks are her favorite basketball team. And she purchased tickets on Ticketmaster and she went down with my son Jeremiah. It was his birthday, and so this was kind of his birthday present. He really wanted to go. And so she got these tickets, got down to West Virginia, went into that stadium, presented her tickets at the gate to get in. They scanned her tickets. And as soon as they scanned them, the result came back, invalid ticket. And so my wife was not able to get in. And so they said, well, maybe go to the ticket office. Maybe they'll be able to help you there. And so she walks around the stadium. She gets to the ticket office. Again, they scan her ticket there. They scan it and says, ticket invalid. And they say, well, sorry, because you purchased this through Ticketmaster, you're just not able to get in. There's nothing we can do for you. You need to talk to Ticketmaster. But of course take it master like almost every other company these days you know there's no phone number you can call and actually talk to a person and so in that moment for a few minutes she just had terror right that all this driving down there all this money spent this birthday gift promise this favorite team that she gets to see all this hope that had been built up around being able to go and see this game suddenly turned into terror because it seemed like there was nothing that she was going to be able to do to get into that game. There was no way that her money would be any good and she would just have to drive back home and apologize to Jeremiah and say, we'll find some other way to celebrate your birthday. But in that moment... Someone from the Kansas Jayhawks ticket office overheard the conversation about her tickets not working and they leaned over and they handed her two tickets so that she could get into the game and she could watch it with Jeremiah and so the evening was saved. But that moment of terror that she experienced when her tickets didn't work, when she realized that her tickets were not valid, was a moment that I do not want anyone here to experience when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, faith is not exactly our ticket to get into heaven, right? It is Jesus, by his death and by his resurrection, that cleansed us, that that made us new in him so that we can enter into God's presence forever and ever. But faith is that thing that binds us to Jesus, that unites us to him. It is as we believe in Jesus, believe in his death, believe in his resurrection that we are joined to him such that when we come before that judgment seat, God will say, I see that you are in my son, welcome into the joy of your master. And so faith unites us to Jesus Christ. And faith is this belief, right, that Jesus really did die, that he really did rise again. And so our faith is proven genuine in suffering precisely because Jesus himself was willing to suffer, beloved. Jesus himself was willing to die upon a cross for you and for me because he had hope in the age to come because he had faith in the age to come. He knew that his death would not be the end of the story, but that by his death, he would purchase a people for his father so that when he rose again, he would be able to enter into glory with this great crowd of redeemed people that he had saved. And so today, beloved, our faith must be like the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, take up your cross And follow me. Take up your cross. That means take up your suffering. And why do we take up suffering? not because we just want to be miserable, not just because we're masochists. Right here in First Peter 1, 6, it says, in this you rejoice, though now you've been grieved by various trials. Why do we rejoice? Because we see the future, because we have faith, because we believe that the day is coming when life will be so far better than anything experienced now that it is worth every last trial and suffering that we may have to endure. And so we take up our cross with joy, with rejoicing, knowing that one day this cross really will be traded in for an everlasting crown of gold. And so, beloved, have you suffered for Jesus Christ in any way? Is there any part of your life where you are tangibly giving up something for the sake of the gospel? Beloved, if there's nothing in your life like that, then you have not yet believed. You have not yet trusted in Jesus. You have not yet placed your faith in his death and in his resurrection so that you have a joy of life beyond the grave that transforms your life here and now. And beloved, if you have believed, then you will find ways to joyfully suffer for King Jesus, knowing that he stores up all of your tears in a bottle, knowing that he sees every last ounce of suffering that you put forth and knowing that he will not let one drop of suffering go to waste. Indeed, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount says whatever suffering you give, whatever you give up, whatever you sacrifice, it will be returned to you, shaken together, patted down. God the Father knows how to reward the one who loves him. And so, beloved Picture that day once more where you are standing before that judgment seat of God. And on that day, again, you are not going to look to any of your works. You are not going to look to your sufferings. You are going to look to Christ alone and you're going to say, Christ is the only reason, the only plea that I have for entering your kingdom, my God and my Father. And then imagine on that day God, looking at your life, looking at your authentic love for King Jesus that caused you to give up a dozen things, a hundred things out of your love for him and imagine him in that day saying, Welcome into the joy of your master. Beloved, let's live for that day. Let's live so that on that day we can hear those good words from God, not hear the words of rejection because we never lived for him, because we would had no genuine faith, but rather let us live so that on that day we will be welcomed in the presence of our Heavenly Father forever and ever. Would you go with me to God in prayer now as we intercede for ourselves and as we intercede for the city and for the world around us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, even though your word is at times very challenging to us, this call to to suffer, this statement that suffering is more precious than gold refined by the fire. Lord, as hard as this may be for us to receive and live out, I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would indeed empower us to do so. Again, Lord, I pray that no one here No one within the the hearing of my voice would stand before your throne on that day and be cast out, but that everyone might be able to proclaim true faith, profess true faith in Jesus Christ, and might have it demonstrated by their lives even today. And so strengthen us, God, and hear our prayers, hear our pleas for mercy now, in Jesus' name.